0: Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. You heard that? Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Um, As a philosopher from the 20th century, about 100 years ago, George Santayana said that, and then every single history teacher since then. But basically, what it means is get a handle on history. See the patterns, and then see the bad stuff that happens, and then see what you can do to avoid those things. The problem is that um, we seem to keep repeating old patterns, old habits, old histories. We wish we didn't. But the the weird thing is that we seem to like these old patterns so much that we go to extremes to stop anyone or anything that's going to take us away from those old patterns. Do you get what I'm saying? Those who cannot remember the past, our history, are condemned to repeat it. Just repeating history over and over. So what is our history? (laughs) And how can we get to know it? And how can we possibly write a new history for ourselves? That's what we're going to look at tonight. Let me pray. Let's prepare our hearts for this. Heavenly Father, you are so good. We're singing it over and over again because we need to remember how good you are. And we look back over ourselves and we see again and again we just keep on doing stupid things and sinful things and repeating bad history. God, tonight we want to look at your word and not be stiff-necked, not be proud, but to hear you speak. Holy Spirit, please move us. Please shape us and change us and get us a big enough picture of Jesus to change. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Acts, we're up to chapter 6, and history is repeating. Acts chapter 6, verse 8, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. This is a repeating pattern. Verse 12, And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. This is a familiar scene, because this is the same scene that took place with Peter and John, back in chapter 3 and chapter 4, they're doing amazing things. And then they get in trouble with the authorities They're They hold before the courts. happens again in chapter 5 with all of the apostles that God's people are going out and doing signs and wonders and preaching the good news about Jesus Christ risen from the dead and all that he means and all that he's done. And they're getting into trouble with the authorities, hold before the authorities, told to shut up roughed up a bit and then sent on their way. And now here we have another Christian, Stephen. He's doing great signs and wonders among the people and he's got into trouble with the authorities. History is repeating. Christians get into trouble when they stand up for the truth. Something we should, we should expect. History is repeating again. Chapter 3 and 4, chapter 5, chapter 6. But this time... It's going to end different. So follow closely. Stephen's in trouble. Who's he in trouble with? Verse 9. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. The freedmen. The synagogue of the freedmen. Who were the freedmen? They were men who had been set free freedmen, they were slaves who'd somehow gained their freedom. They'd done something or something had happened with their masters and they'd been set free. So Jews had been dispersed all through Asia, all through the Mediterranean, wherever. And some of these, they'd ended up as slaves, serving someone else, stuck somewhere over the sea, far away from their homeland, and trapped there. And history was saying to them, you will be there for generations and generations. History just repeating, you are trapped here. And then somehow, they've been set free. And what do they do? (laughs) They go to Jerusalem. They go to this holy place that they've been kept back from because history has broken and they're here in Jerusalem and they're excited to be there near the temple they're free at last to worship there the god that they love and reclaim this precious law and the covenant of the ancient scriptures and turn it over in the sabbath every, every in the synagogue every sabbath like this was huge for them this repeated history is broken and they have this new history they'd overcome the curse of repeating history <laughs> And they are going to cling to this holy place with all that they've got. They are not going to let history repeat for them. And then Stephen comes along and he gets them all rankled. But they couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And then they secretly instigated men who said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Stephen, he's touched them on some really sensitive spots. Moses, the law and customs, this holy place, all these things they cling to. But perhaps the thing that um, their biggest gripe with Stephen is that he seems to pit Jesus of Nazareth against this holy place, the temple. Nazareth. That's like uh, this blue-collar northern suburb. Nazareth. That's what it was to them. That's not the place that that anyone can come from and and say anything against our holy place. Shaking them up. Everything they fought so hard to reclaim, to gain this better history, and he's saying that this new history they have is out of date. They're not going to let that go. And so now Stephen is on trial. Get this. Verse 15, and gazing at him, All who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. What does that even mean? Was it shining? Was it glowing? Was it scary? doesn't say. We don't know, but what we can know is that an angel is a messenger of God. And what they have to say, we really should listen to. What is about to happen is we're about to get a rapid overview of the Bible history. Um, There are a few spots that this happens in the Bible. And every time it happens, it's for a specific purpose. That as you see the whole scope of biblical history, you get to look at the patterns. Look at what's happened. Look at the mistakes that we keep on making. Look at God and how faithful he is through all of this. And then look at what it is leading to. Every single time. And Stephen, he's going to take us over familiar territory. You're going to hear stuff that you've heard before. But he's going to take us racing through it and seeing over and over and over who we are and who God is and how God works. And he is racing and he's going to bring us smack up against this wall that's going to really confront us. So ask God to help you see this with fresh eyes because this is familiar territory. Even if you've never read the Bible and you've just watched the Disney movies, this, there's familiar stuff here. The three big things Stephen is going to tackle, the significance of holy place, the this pattern of rejection of God's messengers and how it all points to Jesus. That's what he's going to tackle with them. But what I want... For us to let God tackle this in us is our holy places and our pattern of rejecting God and His hints and His promptings. And then how Jesus can actually set us free from tragically repeating history. You ready to go? Chapter 7. And the high priest said, Are these things so? Can you imagine that? That getting the opportunity to explain yourself and to share your beliefs, however complex and foreign and obviously threatening and offensive they are, someone wants to hear it. Would you take the opportunity? Would you share it? If someone says, is this so? Stephen goes for it. Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. And then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and he lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yeah, he gave him no inheritance in it. Not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, that we had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others, who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. So far... What what Stephen has said, they're totally fine with. <laughs> These freedmen are cheering because he's actually telling their story. Yeah, we we're God's people and we were sent off to sojourn as foreigners in a land, but he's fulfilled his promise, and yeah, who we are. But this is only the beginning of what Stephen has to say. He goes on. And the patriarchs. Jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. And here we see this, this pattern starting to emerge. It's one of the patterns in Stephen's history that God's chosen ones get rejected. The patriarchs, so jo- um, Jacob's sons, they reject Joseph. Um, and like granted, Joseph seemed to be pretty... Um, insensitive in the way that he shared his dreams with his brothers, that he was one day going to rule over them. And so they rejected him violently, like horribly. They staged his death because they wanted to somehow get away from the history that he said God was bringing for him. They rejected God's messenger. But God was with him. And rescued him out of all his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And here's Stephen saying, God has just fulfilled that promise to Abraham your people are going to be going somewhere else. God is faithful. We start to see that. And reading between the lines, here's Stephen saying, hey, God made his promise, freed men, and he's working it out over here in Alexandria, where you came from. He's working there. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Stephen says the the brothers, Joseph's brothers, they come once. They don't see him. They don't recognize Joseph. They come again, and that is when Joseph reveals himself to them. They didn't get it the first time, but they get a second chance. And that's when it all falls into place. And this is a subtle prompt here from Stephen to his audience. He's saying... You didn't get it first time around. This is your second chance. Sometimes we don't see it the first time, but we get a second chance. Abraham, Joseph. Verse 17. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and they multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who didn't know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they wouldn't be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. You know this story? And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him. And brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in his words and his deeds. God just plucked out this baby. (laughs) Beautiful in God's sight. And then Moses grows up and he starts out on his mission. But it doesn't go so well. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they didn't understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling, and he tried to reconcile them, saying, man, you're brothers, why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, thrust Moses aside, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And at this retort, Moses fled and he became an exile in the land of Midian where he became the father of two sons. Who made you ruler and judge over us? Here is this one picked out by God trying to bring peace between his brothers and they reject him. Moses, God's chosen one, is rejected by his people and he's sent into exile. And get this, he is in exile from the land in which they are in exile. (laughs) He's in exile from exile. (laughs) This is how far away Moses is. Stephen's like, hey, freedmen, you're Moses. He was God's messenger and he was rejected. <laughs> so far, but yet look where God finds him. Verse 30, now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. You know this story? When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to it, there came the voice of the Lord, I am The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled, and he didn't dare to look. The freedmen, they're hung up about this holy place, this holy place. And Stephen comes at them with the most famous quote about holy places in the whole Bible. Then the Lord said to him, "'Take off your sandals from your feet,' For the place where you stand, where you're standing, is holy ground. Stephen's saying, it's not just one holy place. God isn't confined to one place. Now, Abraham started out way over here. Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt, and God worked there. And Moses, who lived there in Egypt and then in exile, he's now off in the wilderness All of these people were used by God away from the the land, from this holy place. And now he's in a holy place because the land is sacred wherever God shows up, not just in the temple. It's not the place that makes God holy. God makes a place holy when he shows up. Stephen's saying, hey, freedmen, Don't limit yourself to just one little holy place. The most high does not dwell in houses made by hands. So their first accusation, that Stephen is talking against the holy place, he's just kind of obliterated that. God works everywhere. But the freedmen, they also accuse Stephen and his Jesus of being against the law and customs of Moses. So he's still on trial. Maybe you've got us there on the holy place thing, but you're still on trial about the law and the customs. So then Stephen takes aim at that. Verse 35 This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge? This man, God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs. Like Stephen, performing wonders and signs like Peter and John and the apostles, wonders and signs, like Jesus performing wonders and signs. This man led them out performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, a little hint of what's to come. This is the one. Who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers? And he received living oracles to give to us. He's saying, God sent the law that you're so hung up on and you're so worried about what I'm doing with it. God sent the law through Moses. And look at the way that he describes it the freedmen there, they're saying, He's doing stuff against our laws and customs. Laws and customs. And Stephen describes them as living oracles. They're not some law or custom that's dry and dead and empty. Not some relic to cling on to. He's saying they're living oracles. These are living and life-giving. You read Psalm 119. It's this massive, massive poem. To how beautiful and life giving God's law is. God's law is a source of delight and light and life. And I'm sure Stephen had no qualms with Psalm 119. But it wasn't about Stephen or, more importantly, Jesus rejecting the law. Stephen's pointing it out here the people. The people reject the law. Like all of us, again and again. Verse 39. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. This is, this is the moment. In all of Stephen's speech, this is the one that should look really painfully familiar to us. This is the place where we can really let Stephen's speech hit us. Because we're not hung up on the the temple stuff. We know that God works everywhere. (laughs) Because we are here far away from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. We are the ends of the earth and we know God is at work here. (laughs) But we can be just like those Hebrews there in the wilderness. That we reject God's word, we reject God's messengers, thrust them aside, and we go after something else. We will follow God, the deliverer, out of a crisis that we're in. But then when things get dry, or tough, or quiet, like the Hebrews there at the bottom of Mount Sinai and Moses is off somewhere and things are just tough and dry and quiet and where is he? We start to look elsewhere to other idols. We might not make a golden calf like they did, but we'll start to let other things speak louder to us. I will find my comfort and security and direction and all kinds of things. I noticed this on Friday morning. I'm sitting there at the table in the morning and I got my Bible open, right? This is good. This is a good first start. But I put it aside and I got my phone out and started looking at my phone. And then I got the newspaper and I'm starting to look in the newspaper. And here is a living oracle of God telling me how history should play out for me today today. And I'm looking to all kinds of other things. We thrust him aside. I'll try to solve a problem myself before I pray about it. Thrust him aside. You get angry with my son being silly because, oh, you're not getting it. I'm lazy. I procrastinate and defer hard tasks and just go for something else. Some little golden calf that's going to make me feel easier in that moment. And I slip into these sinful patterns, despite the Holy Spirit, the messenger, coming at me and reminding me, "What are you doing? What are you doing? Don't do that! Don't do that!" And I keep on looking at all kinds of other things for direction and comfort and hope, just gently, gently thrust him aside. And what happens? History repeats. I keep on doing dumb things. and We reject God's ways. And the more we do it, the harder it is to come back. I've seen people dear to me in my life drift further and further from Jesus Christ because he seems too far off, stuck up a mountain like Moses, or too Nazarethy, or too hard to follow, or... Too hard to obey. And some people reject Jesus, thrust him aside outright. But some people reject him in increments, just a little bit at a time, until some moment where the decision is completely made to walk away from him. Verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you've now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and didn't keep it. We need to repent. Because every time we decide to reject God's message in a moment, we're repeating the mistakes of history. We're rejecting the prophets. We're choosing golden calves over Jesus Christ. And we need to repent. We need to turn back to Jesus Christ. And Stephen, he's just echoed the message of God's messengers for generations and centuries God will save you. Turn to him. What are you going to do when you sense that those little miserable histories repeating in your life? What are you going to do when you feel pulled back into those old patterns? What are you going to do? God will save you. Turn to him. The freedmen don't do it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. And we'll see in a moment the terrible consequences of them rejecting this messenger. And we'll see just how they play out that same old history that Stephen was talking about. Rejecting and killing God's messenger. But there's some hope. There is hope woven through Stephen's message. Get this. Each of those representatives of God took a couple of goes to be embraced. Joseph, Moses, now Jesus. Jesus is the one from a strange place. He goes into exile in Egypt, who was rejected by the people who performed signs and wonders greater than Moses, who was God's ultimate deliverer, the rejected ruler and redeemer, like Stephen said, And Stephen's giving his listeners another chance here. He said, look to the righteous one, the one God has called. Don't make the same mistakes again. Jesus of Nazareth is the deliverer we need for all our wandering, for all our religious devotion. There's nothing we can do to prove to God that we're worth sparing. We've stuffed up too much. We can't just cling to a holy place moment from our past hoping that it'll be enough or clinging to some other golden thing We receive the law as delivered by angels, but do not keep it. Sinful. God's not going to allow that. We need someone to save us from that. We need someone to save us from ourselves. We need someone who's not going to hold our sin against us. The sons of Israel, they got their second chance with Joseph. The Hebrews got a second chance with, with Moses. And we get a second chance through Jesus. Jesus died for our sin. And he rose again triumphant over our broken histories. And as we trust and we follow Jesus, we have the very real chance. The very real chance of not repeating that tragic history, but taking on this new and different history. This is where it gets really exciting, okay? Gaze at Stephen. They were gazing at Stephen. He has the face of an angel. He's working signs and wonders. All of it is through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? The power of the Holy Spirit. Gaze at Stephen. And look where he is gazing. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. And he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stephen looks to Jesus This this is where Stephen doesn't repeat the history of his people. (laughs) He chooses a different history. A different history to repeat because he is about to embrace and repeat Jesus' history. From this moment on in his life, all of Stephen's words are Jesus' words. A little while back in history, Jesus had said to Caiaphas, who's likely the very same guy that Stephen's standing in front of now, Jesus said, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And that's what Stephen, Stephen sees. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. sounds pretty familiar. People hear a Christian saying something that triggers, that is way out of line, that is something no one should ever say in this day and age. Back then, it was something like that. I see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power. All kinds of things we say now that can be triggers, right? And the people cry out with a loud voice and they stop listening and they shut it down, imagining they're woke. But I have it pretty easy as a pastor because I am expected to say things, radical things about Jesus that out there are going to cause all kinds of offence, but I'm paid and expected to do it and I do it here and it's pretty easy. But for some of you, you've got it a whole lot harder because you're studying at secular universities where to say anything like this is going to be triggering. It's going to get you into all kinds of trouble. Or you're in a workplace or a school and there's tricky situations come up like, do I wear purple or not? What's that going to mean? How's it going to go? You're wondering if it might cost you your job to publicly stand up for Jesus. Jesus. And some of you are concerned, like, that if you say what you actually believe, you could lose friends. And this response of people crying out loud and plugging their ears and rushing at you is a very real threat. And that's hard. I want you to find some encouragement in Stephen. I mean, he is a man for a particular moment in history and he is willfully shooting his mouth off right now. And it's, it's not going to end neatly for him. Your situation is different. It might not be appropriate for you to be as confrontational as a rugby player. Your course of action might be different, but you're going to need a lot of wisdom and grace and the Holy Spirit moving you and directing you. But don't get caught up in the way Stephen does it, but see what's empowering Stephen, who is empowering Stephen. He is full of the Holy Spirit, and he's full of wisdom, and he has his eyes fixed on Jesus. And he is not about to make the mistake of the Hebrews in the wilderness and turn away to anything else for comfort. He is trusting Jesus in that moment. And then Jesus does something remarkable with Stephen at that moment in history. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him, threw stones at him to kill him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Luke 23, Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Stephen is taking on Jesus' history and repeating that. I mean, History might seem like it's repeating, but it's not totally. It's going somewhere new. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he'd said this, he fell asleep. This is massive. This prayer that he prayed right there, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That goes against all of history. It's not a typical prayer historically. Historically, people would rain down curses on someone who's murdering them or at the very least cry out for help for themselves. But Stephen... He's not following the pattern of history right there. He's following Jesus. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when you follow Jesus, the legacy that creates, we can't measure it. Do not hold this sin against them. Stephen's praying this, and he's praying this about all of them. He's praying it for those poor, willfully lost freedmen He's praying it for the high priest. He's praying it for the elders and the scribes and anyone else that picked up a rock at that moment. And he's praying it for a young man named Saul, which historically is not a great name to have. Stephen, he followed Jesus' lead, breaking that curse of repeated history. And God answers his prayer within a couple of chapters. Saul, who's breathing threats and murder, is saved by Jesus Christ. Stephen's prayer is answered. And the Apostle Paul, who followed Jesus resolutely, he left a a massive and indelible mark on history that we are eternally grateful for. Stephen, he keeps his eyes fixed on Jesus, and Jesus writes a new history. I said it at the start that we tend to repeat history and making the same mistakes over and over, right? Stupid, stupid little mistakes. Or tragic, awful, big sins. They're sins, they're not mistakes, they're sins. And we follow the pattern of Israel's history and we take our eyes off Jesus and we look at any other golden calf we can find. And that's when we make the mistakes the sins and repeat the history we reject god's messengers. we reject the holy spirit prompting us and calling us back and we just go back to our golden calves but we can have a new history i'm going to tell you something that's going to sound super trivial but it starts in the simplest place um michaela who's come on board at the church, um, helping out in the kids' ministry. On Friday, she comes in with a big box of brownies that she's made. Brownies are a gift from God to all of creation. And here she was bringing this box of brownies. But like every good gift, sometimes they become something bad when you've had too much of it. And so today, keeping the context of everything else I've eaten in the day There's this box of brownies still on the bench there in the church office. And I'm like, oh, brownies, a gift from God to all of us. And I went to take one, and then I thought about the whole context of my diet for the day. And I thought, no, this is not a good thing for me to have right now. (laughs) If I take this now, I'm repeating a history, (laughs) a stupid, stupid little sin of comfort. I'm taking comfort in this brownie, and I don't need it right now. And I actually thought in that moment, I'm about to preach this, I've got to keep my eyes on Jesus in this moment. So I'm like, lid back on the box. I'm focusing on Jesus and I'm writing a new history. Does that sound trivial or does that sound practical? That's a little bit practical, right? It's a little thing, but it's the little things, the little repeated histories that keep on getting me. And this this is the thing, right? Hannah talked about something way, way bigger than that. But it's the same answer. That we look to Jesus rather than any of these other things. And what's really going to motivate, what I'm hoping stirs our hearts, is we see the same kind of things. That Stephen looks back over the past and says, if I do that thing again, I'm just going to be stuck here to the point where it's too late. No more second chances. But if I change in this moment and looking at Jesus do the hard thing, and do what he wants me to do, who knows how he could write a new history for me in that moment, right? And what a history that could be. I didn't have the brownie. Who knows where that's going to lead me? But we can follow a new history like Stephen. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely, and let's run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that you give us the history of everything and the history of us all wrapped up in that. And you don't leave us stuck to repeat patterns that leave us feeling trapped and awful and broken and hardened and worse. God, we see what we do. And we don't want to end up stuck. Holy Spirit, please give us a vision of Jesus and a vision of where he wants to take us. And let us just trust him in that moment the way Stephen did, that you would write hundreds of new little histories tonight, this week. God, as each one of us faces the temptation of thrusting you aside in a moment to repeat a stupid little history, that we would look to Jesus and that we wouldn't just be freed from that repeated history, but that you would do something great, that you would lead us into a new history, something where you work beautifully and you get the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing to finish. Stephen, he looked back over history, and he saw God's faithfulness, and he saw how it culminated in Jesus, and how faithful God is to his promises, and Stephen, he was trusting Jesus. So let's fix our eyes on God, because he is mighty, as ever, to save us from repeating a tragic history, and he's going to lead us, mighty as ever, lead us into a beautiful new history.